But there is a teaching of Jesus that uh, everyone here has an opinion on. I have no doubt if you are um, like fifth grade and up, this has probably impacted you in some way, but I'll say third grade too. And it's a difficult passage for us. I want to read it. Mark 10, 1 through 12, Jesus teaching about divorce. So I want to read this right now. Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And he left there where he was and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered him again and again. And uh, as was his custom, he taught them. Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, Well, what did Moses command you? They said, Well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So, heavy passage. Why don't you go to the Lord with me in prayer about this. Father, we ask that as we enter into Mark chapter 10, that your spirit would guide us, that we would find your grace, and also your standard of holiness and perfection that we can never match up to. So you be the Lord of this passage and this time, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so like I said, it's a, it's, a, it's a touchy passage for many, if not all of us. And so I just want to ask this question from the beginning, uh, just by show of hands, in some capacity, who in this room has been affected in one way or another by divorce? Yeah, one way or another. It doesn't mean you've done it. It might mean family, friends, somebody you know, in one way or another been affected by it. Everybody in this room, if you just think about it, You've talked to somebody going through it. You've had somebody in your family deal with it. You yourself might have been there. And so everybody in this room is dealing with or has dealt with this morning's topic. Everyone in this room has opinions on it. You know, when's it okay? When's it not okay? What do you do here? What do you do there? What about this? What about that? Everybody in this room has opinions on it. I'm sure of that. I mean, this is like, you know, we care about college football and this, and it's college football season, so like these are the things we're going to be like in our, in our business. And whenever, whenever you start to bring up specific subjects in Scripture, like serving, like, yeah, you know, be a servant, that's good, be nice. When you bring up divorce, because this is it's the dissolution of something God has made, the opinions come out. And so as we read this morning in Mark 10, I want us to just consider, first, the broken hearts of many, but also consider the teaching of Jesus. Because in this passage, I think Jesus is changing the view of something that these Pharisees and religious leaders had held for some time. He is changing their view, or at least challenging their view, I don't know if their view changed, but challenging their view of divorce, which in their mind was, we just want to know when we can do it. And Jesus says, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the heart 
Let's talk about what's going on with you and how you handle that. And so Jesus responds to them by addressing the heart and pointing to God's design, which is a pretty good way to deal with a sensitive subject. But what did God say? What did God create? What did God do? So, Jesus, of course, does this regularly, but in the realm of marriage, I think it's good for us to just kind of tenderly and humbly enter into this passage and see what Jesus teaches without, and this is gonna be the hard part, without trying to back our way out of what he says. Okay, so we don't want to back our way out of what he says. We want to hear what he says and deal with that because that's what Jesus is doing in this moment, Con- making you contend with your own heart. How does Jesus change or how should Jesus change our understanding of marriage? If we look at Mark chapter 10, we will see a few things. Now, the human heart is kind of that first response. What's the human heart saying? Like, when's it okay to get a divorce? When can we make this an okay thing that we do? That's what happens in the first few verses Jesus goes, other crowds come to him in verse 1 of chapter 10, and he begins to teach them. Well, some Pharisees, right, I don't want to be a Pharisee. You remember those guys. They're not Pharisee, and we, uh, they come to Jesus, and they're ready to challenge him. And the religious leaders were often doing that. They would hear a teaching of Jesus or something that he said or something that he did, and they'd be like, wait a second, because they felt like they owned the corner of the market on religious teaching. And so they would try to find Jesus or trap Jesus in certain ways, and they wanted to see how well he knew the law, which I would not want to do Bible trivia against Jesus. So the Pharisees came up to him in order to test him, which is an important phrase there, in order to test him. If you could circle that, that would be helpful because they're trying to get something out of him. They're not coming at him with a tender heart. They're coming at him combatively. And so Jesus' response, in a sense, matches how they're coming at him. So they're coming at him with a goal to test him. He's coming back with, a, with the line in the sand. Now the thing is, that line in the sand is there regardless, but Jesus' response based upon the heart that is pursuing him would change. And I'll explain what I mean in a minute. So they want to go, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? That's what they do. They want to test Jesus. And Jesus goes, well, what's the law say? You know, kick it back. That's, that's a good thing to do when people ask you a question. Well, what does it say? And they quote from there. They refer to that. Well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. So if the, uh, and in Jewish culture, a uh, husband could divorce his wife. Wife could not divorce husband. But in the Roman world, which could be Mark's audience, a wife could divorce her husband as well or pursue that. So there's a bit of a difference going on here. But they're, as speaking as Pharisees say, well, Moses allowed for this. Rise to get a divorce, uh, divorce and send her away. So they deal with the law, and they matter of factly like good Pharisees go, well, here's what the law says. But Jesus, what does the law do? The law reveals our need. The law reveals the condition of our heart. And so Jesus brings it right back and talks about the heart. And what he says is this, divorce isn't, you can even say, was never the design. Like there was not a category in which divorce was the way God had planned it. We have to use the difference between plan and use. God can use a situation for uh, growing people in him, but plan, be glad about, delight in, that's a totally different way to consider it. So what Jesus then responds with is this is really never what God had designed. And he appeals both to the condition of the heart and to scripture. So what does he say? Well, verse 5. Jesus said, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. 
Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment, which is what we need to realize here from the beginning. And what is a hard heart? Right? A hard heart is one that is closed off to the truth of God. Does not want to hear the truth of God. Does not want to surrender to the truth of God. So he's basically going, this law exists because you're stubborn. This provision exists. It's not like there's a commandment to divorce. There's a provision for it. And Jesus, again, he just says, because you have a hard heart, that's why this is there. Which would say to me that if we didn't have hard hearts, which we do, then this wouldn't be the reality. But because you have a hard heart, the provision was there. Now, Jesus then brings it back. He goes, let's go ahead and bring it back to how God created this world. And he refers to the world before the fall. Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of man, the temptation of Adam and Eve, and their disobedience and rebellion against God. And so he refers to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 to paint his picture of marriage. So he says this, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. That was our first memory verse of the year, Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. He created them in the image of God. He created them, or, uh, yeah, created them male and female. That's Genesis 1:27. So from the beginning of creation, there were male and female, men and women. And then he goes to Genesis 2, <clears throat> says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. And this is the line that I end my weddings with. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So Jesus refers to Genesis chapter 1 about creation male and female. Then he refers to Genesis 2. A man shall leave his father and mother, be united, united to his wife. They will become one flesh. And so then Jesus summarizes that. He says, so they're not two, they're one. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus' teaching here is rather clear. He's not ambiguous. He doesn't go, well, you know, there's this or there's that, or maybe divorce is fine. Like, Jesus will never say, it's okay. He never says, go for it. And that's not what he's talking about. Why? Because he's going back to the way God designed it. Now, remember, we don't compare ourselves to one another. We compare ourselves to what God has said what God has done, and what God expects. If we compare ourselves to one another, in our marriages, in our spiritual walks, in our jobs, and whatever, then all we're starting to do is kind of compare different levels of brokenness. What Jesus is going to do is go, hey, let's look at what God designed. And once you see what God designed, you will see that there really isn't a category in mind for divorce. But that came about in a world of hard-heartedness which comes after what God had decreed in Genesis 1 and 2. Okay? So this is what I would say. God has a standard, and this is what Jesus is communicating. There's a standard for marriage. And there has never been a time that that standard has changed. Sometimes uh, when we have... Uh, you, might, you might have done this at your wedding, and if so, not hating on your wedding, uh, but people like to have different little images to uh, commemorate being one. So you might have the unity candle. Don't tell me if you've had that. 
But right, so like, so right, husband or the groom's family and the bride's family come up and the mom and dad light a candle and then sometime later during the ceremony, these two families take the, the, you know, these, their family's candle and make a new candle out of it, right? So just kind of the idea of we're creating something new, which imagery-wise, I kind of get. I'm like, I get that. Then there's another, and again, don't tell me if you've done this, there's unity sand, right? You have the unity sand, and you pour one color in and the other color in, and it kind of makes this design. And I actually, in my counseling with folks, I'm like, if you're going to do this, don't do unity sand. I actually tell them, don't do unity sand. They're like, well, why not do unity sand? It's just so beautiful looking. I'm like, because you could separate it out. If you're trying to commemorate and, and kind of illustrate what God is doing here, all you're doing with unity sand is taking two people and making one messy two people. That's all you're doing. But if I needed to, I could actually just take, a, take my tweezers and separate out each color. And God is doing something different in a wedding than just kind of combining two people into constituent parts. He's making a new person. There's a spiritual union, there's a physical union, there's things that God does in that moment that recognizes that there's a new thing going on. So don't do the sand. So kids, if you want an image, not unity sand. Parents, if you used it, there's no need to repent or anything like that, like you didn't disobey God. It's okay. Uh, so, you know, we, gotta go, we, we need to redo our vows and do a unity. No, you don't, you don't need to do any of that. But God has a standard and this is a way you can think about it. In fact, one time when I taught on this, I had an easel, and I, and I had blue and yellow, right? Blue and yellow make green. Thank you. Third graders should know that. Blue and yellow make green. And so I kind of just painted, just made a big mess with my hands and painted uh, this thing. So we take one color and another color, and then you go, okay, try and separate that back out. You can't. You have a new thing. And so what Jesus is saying here is marriage makes a new thing. Marriage makes a new thing. And the hard thing is, regardless of your awareness of marriage making a new thing, it still does. Because God is the one who creates it, not you. I just recognize, when I do weddings, I'm just recognizing something God is already doing and I sign a document that makes it legal. But I, I am not making one from two. The Lord does that. I just get a cool moment with people where I get to talk about it and use my line, let no one separate. But Jesus is going, here's the standard, guys. Here's the standard. There is no difference. Now, this is what I would say then about divorce. Every divorce, and I, and I mean this, but hear what I'm saying. Every divorce is a result of sin. Every divorce. There is not one where sin is not somewhere involved. Because it is saying, okay, hear me, it is saying, one person or both saying, I am done. For whatever reason, I'm done. And it doesn't reflect what God would expect from Genesis 1 and 2. So there is not, there might be no fault divorces in our culture, there are not sinless divorces. Right? But the government is looking at legality and we're looking at the Lord. There is not a situation in a divorce where sin is not present. Not once. You go, whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't, don't. I, know, I know some of you might want to argue with that. But there isn't a time. Because if the Lord is committed to us 
forever. And our marriage is to reflect the relationship that Jesus has with the church. Then ask you, I'll ask you this, when is it okay? When does Jesus demonstrate that it's okay to give up on somebody? Never. When does Jesus demonstrate that it is okay to stop caring for your spouse? Never. Well, I don't know Jesus. I'm like, okay. The Lord still created marriage. And you would still know that divorce, and divorce is incredibly common here, just as it is in our culture. We would know that it doesn't reflect the heart of God. That's why Jesus goes, because of your hard-heartedness, this exists. Because of your hard-heartedness. Well, the disciples, hearing this, are like, wait a second. They're putting some, they're connecting dots. Appropriately so. They're connecting dots. Like, you need to tell us a little bit more about this because there are some consequences to what you're saying. To which Jesus essentially goes, yep, there are. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, this is Jesus responding. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, scorn factor can increase pretty high in this moment. Because we hear these things, and you're going to want to go to Matthew, or you're going to want to go somewhere else, because no, 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 Jesus gives an out. Okay, well, you have to hear, except for, there's a line in Matthew, except for sexual immorality, which isn't tightly defined. And so people be like, oh, well, they, you know, they look at other people inappropriately, thus I, I am okay to get divorced. What is, that? what is that? It's a hard heart looking for an out. And so when we start to look for escape clauses, we're demonstrating what Jesus says in the prior paragraph, which is because of your hardness of heart, you do this. Because of your hardness of heart, you do this. Now, for us, we often, if not always, when we hear this, start to kind of want to sink down in our seats. We don't like what we hear, we would prefer another solution. And we, the human heart does this, we try to paint ourselves as okay. And when you're talking about divorce in particular, you start to realize some things about your own heart, the heart of those around you, and just how wicked we can become. So there's generally, and there's always more than two responses, but I'm going to say there's generally two responses to this. When you hear this teaching on divorce, you go, hey, what does God say? And the first is self-protection, because that's what the flesh does. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, you don't know my situation. You don't know what I went through. You don't know what I experienced. You don't know this. You don't know that. You don't know who I talked to. I get it. I don't know those things. But we're not talking about what I know. We're talking about what the Lord has said. And so that first response is to hear it and to put it at arm's distance and go, I, I am not, I don't apply here. This doesn't apply to me. You don't know what I've seen. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've experienced. Then what does that do? That tries to distance ourselves from truth rather than contend with it. Now, if we contend with it, we can do it in different ways. But it's funny how we often respond, because I'll do the same thing. I'll do the same thing where I'll go, ooh, gosh, do you really think that's referring to me? 
I mean, this must be referring to other people who are really sinful, but, it, but the scriptures don't speak to my situation specifically. And Jesus goes, no, 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 look what God made. He did that. You can't really undo it. The divorce doesn't undo what God has made, ever. It doesn't undo it. God's not like, oh, okay, I'm totally cool with it now. That's not how he, that's not how he operates. He doesn't look at it and go, oh, I, don't, I no longer recognize that. Like, the Lord doesn't annul He doesn't go back on the things that he's made. He's perfect and he's unchanging. And so when we do that, that's when Jesus' teaching in verses 10 and 11 become a little more clear. Oh, if the Lord doesn't change, then regardless of my legal status with my spouse, it didn't actually change the thing God had made. As if we, now listen to this, as if we had some kind of power to have God put his little magic pixie dust over it and change the thing that he's already done. Oh God, can I get a take back on that? Nope. This is what you have done. This is what we have created. Now, that's one response, to protect, to hide, to try and go, this doesn't apply to me and you don't know my situation. Now, remember what I said, that all divorce is the result of sin. Who's, I'm not saying who's sin. I'm not saying where's sin. I'm just going, it's there. It exists within that situation. The other response of hearing Jesus' teaching is to go, wow, that's me. I did that. I, I said no when I should have said yes. I did not have the strength. I did not have the desire. And I did not have the heart. If you're sitting there going, oh, I'm totally good, right? I've never done that. I'm like, well, Jesus has some pretty high standards of what adultery was, so you're in the same boat. That every single person in this room has a diminished view of marriage compared to what the Lord has. Some have actually just actualized it more and kind of whitewashed, or the rest of us have whitewashed and be like, oh, no, I'm really good. I never have any problems on marriage. I'm like, yeah, you do. All of us have taken what God has created and what God has done and somehow diminished it so that we can jump over the bar. That's not the way that we actually need to approach what God says. We need to approach what God says with, I failed. I failed. And the more you realize the places in which you fail, and marriage is really just kind of a microphone or a magnifying glass for our failures, the more that you realize the intensity with which you fail, wherever it might be, where you do not measure up to God's standard, if your heart is humbled, then you go, what do I do? What do I do? And this is where you can start to look at the character of Jesus. Because there are some funny ways that we'll do this. we go, okay, so I'm remarried. I guess I need to divorce my current spouse and find my other one, but he or she's also remarried, so I guess I need to tell them to get a divorce so that we can get remarried. That doesn't make any sense, right? Like, like there isn't, once, once we start down the road of trying to fix things that we can't fix in our own power, we start to make really boneheaded decisions, Okay, so I guess I should, we've had, we've had children together and done this and lived our life, but I guess to be really reflective of the scriptures, we need to get a divorce, and they need to get a divorce, and then we need to find one another again and start our lives. What? That somehow says that I can undo it. Now, this is what I'll say. If I'm with uh, counseling people who are considering uh, remarriage, I'll go, hey, what, uh, 
what role did you play in the dissolution of your last marriage? And have you owned up to that? And like, man, my last spouse was crazy. No, I didn't do that. Like, mm, maybe you should. Because the very fact that you feel that way demonstrates something about your heart. And so I'll have that kind of conversation. But as we realize, and this is, this is what the Spirit in us can do. As we realize what we see in Scripture and how we don't measure up, we can either try and change the standard so we do, which is what the legalist does. Let's change the standard so we can, so we can hit it. That's what, yeah, and that's the Pharisees. Hey, when's it okay to do this? We just need to know that. Check, 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 check. Versus, oh my gosh, I've done that. I've done that. I've done that in my mind. I've done that in my heart. I've done that with my actions. I've done that in how I've counseled. I've done that. I have not measured up. And you can go to multiple interactions people have with Jesus where they go, I've messed it up. And he has a totally different response, doesn't he? A totally different response. For example, Jesus with the woman who's caught in adultery. He has a pretty famous line in that interaction. He says, is anyone here, you know, is anyone still standing around to condemn you? And she's like, no. He's like, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. When people come to Jesus broken, think the woman at the well. No, the person you're with, you had this many husbands. The person you're with now isn't even your husband. And they talk about truth and the spirit and new life. And she has a moment and she goes back to her town and does something that I just still think is bizarre where she says to the people in her town, hey, look, I found a guy who knows everything about me. And like, everything? I mean, we know a lot about you there. And that's a lot. He knows everything? And you're not embarrassed to tell us that he knows everything about you? That's the difference between a heart that comes to the Lord humbled and a heart that comes to the Lord protective. Yeah, yeah, he, has a, he knows everything. He has everything on me. I mean, if he just displayed it all, he would have it all. Every wrong turn, every wrong decision, every wicked thought, he has it all, and he didn't condemn me. So passages like this give us moments to check our own hearts and to say, Lord, I have failed. What do I do with my failure? Luckily, by God's grace, he gives us an answer. Trust me. Just trust me. Follow me. Let, let me, having done no wrong, cover over your years of wrong. Let my sacrifice for you be what you need to be made whole. Because there is no about of trying to fix it that you can do that will actually fix the wrong you've done in whatever the situation may be. Marriage, family, work, otherwise. There is no amount of fixing that you can do that will somehow make God go, oh yeah, that's it, you've lived up to the standard. Why? Because the legalist goes, no, we'll just change the standard. Change the standard and we're good. And it's funny when we do that, especially in realms of relationships, because we generally will make the standard whatever is like one rung below what we do. Like, well, here's how I operate. And so Jesus needs us to operate like this. 
And if you're good there, you're good. <gasps> Surprise, there you are jumping over the hoop every single time. Well, that's not how our walks with the Lord should work. It is a constant going back to him and going, I failed. I need your grace. I actually have a reminder. I tell you about my reminders all the time. One day we'll get through them all because I have a billion reminders like daily. And one's like, confess sin. Because I need the constant reminder to reflect over the, the past 24 hours and go, what are all the ways that I know I failed? Plus all the other ways I don't even think I failed because I think I'm good enough. What are all the ways that I know I have failed over the past day? I tell you what, I never run out of things to talk about. I'm not like, oh yeah, I was pretty good yesterday. Check, moving on. High five Jesus. So this is a passage where we can check the hardness of our heart. Because a hard heart goes, I don't want to hear that. And a tender heart goes, that's me. And there's really no even embarrassment with it. Like, that's just me. When we can realize that the world has nothing on us that God does not already have, and that God does not condemn because of the work of his son Jesus and through faith in him, we don't receive that condemnation. When we can get there, then there's no more trying to be embarrassed. Like, oh yeah, gosh, you want, you want to actually, I mean, I could tell you way worse things about me. That's fine. You want to know worse? I have worse. So I have some thoughts as we think about this passage in particular and our own heart. And the first is for all of us. It's to confess our view of marriage as small compared to God's. That we do not view marriage in the way that God does. Fairly often. Most of the time, we do not think of it in regards to Genesis 1 and 2. We're just like, if I could just get through the day smiling halfway, check. but that God has created something that is to reflect him. That signifies oneness in a way that no other earthly relationship can signify. And so often, we diminish it with our attitudes, we diminish it with our decisions, we diminish it with even our own sinfulness. We just go, this doesn't matter that much. And so all of us can confess to the Lord that we do not have a view of marriage that is as lofty as Jesus's is. That doesn't mean we should change it. It means we should just confess it. Go, Lord, where do I need to grow in this area? Where do I need to see my expectation and my hope and my heart for marriage to increase? Where have perhaps I even given bad advice to other friends who are married, who are going through a difficult time, given them advice or given them outs or said things to them that actually diminish what you would say in these moments? Where have I, where have I been complicit in reinforcing someone's hard-heartedness? Where have I decided that's okay? So all of us could better recognize God's design. Now I say this to uh, those in the room who are previously married or remarried, is that if you haven't yet, if you haven't yet, and you may have, admit where you are or were and receive the grace of God. Because if we 
at this church, and we'll say, you know, gospel-centric, which is a word that not many of us actually know how to define. We go, oh, everything's centered on the gospel. But any third-grade teacher tells you, you don't define a word with the words. So what does it mean to be gospel-centered? Oh, it means to be centered on the gospel. Okay, what does that mean? It means to be gospel-centered, right? Like, we just kind of go round and round and round because we don't actually have to, we don't know how to take those words and make them a reality. If this church, if Genesis Church is a church that is centered on the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came and he saves sinners like us, then our view of grace should be so deep and so wide that there is no level of one sinfulness that should be condemned because the Lord has taken it on. And so to receive God's grace in these things means to let God just heal you in those moments. To recognize that, yes, I mean, this is a hard thing. Our, our, our goal, or sometimes we want to short circuit our growth in the Lord by jumping over confession and repentance. And so what I mean is this. We'll go, oh yeah, I made a mistake, I'm good now. And, and I go, have maybe you actually considered that you're not good and that you need to hear Jesus' words to you and work for you and tell you that you're loved even though these things have existed in your life? But we want to jump past how bad we are. And I don't think that we need to do that. We don't need to live in how bad we are. But we don't need to hide that from the Lord as if he doesn't already know. So we confess and we go, I haven't done this right. I haven't done this right. But that should be every single believer's statement every single day. I haven't done this right. Let me receive your grace. Let me keep going. Let's keep moving because your spirit's in me and I have life. I don't need to live here, but I don't need to deny that either. Because honestly, the more we deal with our own personal sinfulness, and we've used this before, and if you've done the, uh, <clears throat> oh, it's a gospel thing, I can't remember what it's called now. It has the gospel grid. If you remember it, yell it out. But the gospel grid, gospel center life, I think is what it's called. And it has the gospel grid. And it has that little, you know, my view of God increases and my, my view of myself diminishes. And every time I increase my view of God and decrease in my view of self, I, the work of Jesus becomes greater and more beautiful for me. It doesn't mean that the work of Jesus actually becomes that. It's that you recognize that there is no amount of God's holiness that you could see or your own sinfulness that you could see that Jesus has not covered in his work for you. And so as you view God's standards and who he is and what he's done, as that increases and you realize how lowly you are and how little you measure up, it's not a time to wallow around, but to see what God has done. In his son. So receive God's grace. For those in their marriages who are having a more difficult time than others. I don't think any marriage is, you know, we're always like a half an inch away from a difficult time. But in this moment, a more difficult time than others. I would ask you this question. How, based upon Jesus' words... How is your heart, or perhaps your hard-heartedness, getting in the way of resolution? Doesn't mean you're like considering divorce. It doesn't mean anything like that. 
It just means how are you actually contributing to the problem that exists? Because so often like, oh, if my spouse, if they would change, things would be good. And I'm like, okay, well, let he who's out sin cast the first stone comes from Jesus. So maybe we need to apply that to ourselves. We read in the Beatitudes or Jesus' teaching Sermon on the Mount. Why don't you stop, how he would say it, why don't you stop looking around and condemning other people? Logs and specks, why don't you get the plank out of your eyes so that you can better remove this speck from your brother's eyes? So why don't you deal with your own stuff before you go around trying to deal with other people's stuff? Which is what we love to do. I mean, the moment that, the moment that we think that we're, we've, we've arrived in the spiritual life, we love to tell other people how they haven't. And Jesus' words in those moments should be a stark reminder to us that we've never arrived in the way that we think we have, though we have been given everything in him. But that in dealing with one another, there's often enough stuff going on right here that I don't really have to spend a lot of time throwing stuff your way. So for those who are dealing with difficulty in any relationship, but specifically their marriage, I would ask this question, how are you contributing to that problem? How is your heart hardened in those moments? And what would happen if you just humbly said, Lord, I don't know what to do here, but if I focused more fully and deeply upon you, then you would change things. You go, well, if my spouse would change, there we go again. And we don't do it because we want our spouse to do it either. Well, if I change, then I hope you'll change. No, no. If I humble myself, it's because the Lord asks me to. You really, and this is the crazy thing, but it shows where your faith is, you really don't know how your spouse will respond in a moment of your own personal humility. They may take it and go, see, I knew it. I knew it. See, you have all the problems. You just go, I do. I do. I have all the problems. I will receive whatever needs to be given because anything that you have on me, God has more. So you don't know what doing that does, but if your heart is, I'm going to do this so that they become, you know, like, repentant too, you can't, you can't do that thing because you're not a genie. If I do this, they do that, right? Like, you know, just make it happen by just how you think about it. That's not how it works. We all come to the Lord broken. Not one of us comes before Jesus and says, I have it together. There is no realm of life, there is no space, there is no relationship, there is no thought that you could say to the Lord, I'm good enough here. It's not one. And the more deeply we ingrain ourselves in that, the more we realize what Jesus is saying and we go, yeah, yeah. There are so many times I've taken God's design and changed it for my own benefit or tried to change it and I know that I can or done what I have tried to lower God's standards so that I'm okay and so that what I did isn't bad. We don't need hard-hearted responses to what Jesus says. We need tender responses to what Jesus says so that we can recognize what it means to receive grace upon grace. The goodness that he has for us and the love that he has for us in his son.